0: Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the frontline. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful, on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Today's guest is passionate about helping teams implement solutions that improve their professional life. He's a seasoned operations leader and is currently the director of global telematics at Yamar. Please welcome to the show, John Kent. Hello, John. Hey, Justin. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So much for joining, really looking forward to uh, this conversation today. And as we always do, I wanna get started with the big question, which is, what do you see as the biggest challenge facing the deskless workforce today? I think the challenge most companies
1: face is is getting a lack of feedback from their constituents and their stakeholders um, and getting them to drive the directions of the solutions. The I've seen it, it constantly, Companies going off into a, a dark room, building solutions, uh, intending the best intentions for, for their workforce, only to find out that it's, uh, it leads to low user adoption. Um, it doesn't improve productivity. And it, it, all that could have been solved if it just involved the users earlier on in the process. And that's a big one, you know, that, that, that impacts a lot. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot more to talk about that. I mean, what, what are some of the ways I, I know I'm already kind of jumping ahead to some of the things we'd normally talk about later in the show, but I want to dig into that a little bit more is what, what do you recommend is some of the ways that companies can improve how they do that?
1: Yeah. And this seems to be a topic at most of the conferences you and I attend, right. And, 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 uh, and, and different podcasts in terms of just around this subject alone about stakeholder engagement, Um you know, it, it's, it's old language to say, you know, get early, get involved early often and, and, and keep looking for that feedback loop to be closed and look for constant feedback. Uh, that's all true. It's sometimes harder to put into practice. So I, let me share with you, from my days at Cox Communications, um, I don't think I'm going outside of school to share this information. Um, with our technician application, the team employed, employed um, a, a SME slash champ, champion uh, in, and tester environment. So it was hierarchy tiered. Uh, there was champs for every region and those champions were generally directors or managers uh, of, of field service workers. Um, then we had SMEs, those were the subject matter experts in the application itself. And they understood the capabilities of the application and what it could do. And most of the times those were senior technicians. Um, one or two per region or, or one or two per market. So you got kind of, you know, six champions, let's say 25 SMEs. And then you have the testers, which is a group of about 150 technicians, uh, both across business and residential um, and across all markets and all channels. Um, and that really, and what we would do is um, as new releases or new ideas would come out, we'd feed it down through monthly calls, through feedback sessions, We'd invite the testers onto the larger group sessions and really kind of dive down to what the true need of the business was. What and as we released new iterations of the application, how helpful did they find the the, the new enhancement? Um, how was it really improving their life? You know, if you look at the customer journey, any customer journey, right? But for us, it was field service technicians and and their interactions with the customers. How was that truly improving their experience? You know, was it getting them off the phone for five minutes. Uh, with our back-end office, uh, were they able to serve the customer faster, more, um, be more knowledgeable about the products they were providing? But when I joined the organization, that was not necessarily the experience we had um, or the not the setup that we had with the field. And as the team morphed into that mode, the application went from one of the not best-liked applications in the world uh, or you know, in their world to uh, being rated the top application for uh, for the for the field service technicians for, I think, three years running. It was just, it was fantastic. And I'd be remiss to not mention that we also put a uh, a link to a feedback form within the application itself, asking the technicians, how do you like it? Do you have any new ideas? And then we'll use closed loop feedback to thank them for their input and let them know how it aligned with the future road mapping. Uh, if it was a new a uh, new enhancement that was coming up in future release cycles. Um, and, and the technicians just really appreciated being
0: listened to. That's awesome. I mean, you've covered two things that seem to be recurring themes on the show, which is communication, uh, improving communication, and, and then also just a, a genuine empathy to, to actually care about what the men and women in the field think and to kind of do your best to, to put yourself in their shoes and, and take that feedback. And, and then maybe the third piece of that is to actually take action on the feedback, right? It sounds obvious, but it doesn't always happen. So, you know, improving your communication and demonstrating empathy and then taking action on that feedback are some really key things. And, and to, to hear your story and, and share how that kind of went from maybe not so successful to, to becoming wildly successful is, is uh, just a great proof point for that.
1: Yeah, another part to that or piece of that is allowing for that um, internal promotions, right? So as we built out our application product management team, um, it gave opportunities for some guys in the field who had been working in the application or been working with customers directly to really step up and be, be the advocates and help drive the, um, the priority of the enhancements in terms of what was going to be most impactful because they had lived it, right? They had done it. And I see that a lot more in organizations today. I think a lot of companies and organizations are moving away from a product-focused environment and more to a um, customer-focused environment. You know, internal and external customers, and that's uh, I certainly saw that a lot at Cox. I'm seeing that at uh, Yamar um, uh, since uh, joining last uh, two quarters ago, um, and and that that draws out the empathy, right? You can't hide from. Uh, the feedback of the folks that are using your application and technologies or, or otherwise. It, it long, I'm not saying long gone as the days across all companies, but certainly there's a lot less ivory towers around today
0: than there were yesterday. Yeah. All right. So if, if I ask you any more questions, we're gonna go down too far. And I before we go down <laughs> there, because I already have a bunch of questions that I, I, I want to come back to, but Sure. I, I would love for you to introduce yourself to our audience and and give them some perspective on on who they're hearing from today. So, take us uh, you know a little bit into your background. How did you end up in the role that you're in today? What are some of the milestones that that have uh, come up at, across your professional journey? Sure. Well, I um, the fun
1: anecdote is that I have actually started off um, as a chef. I went to culinary school and uh, used to cook at restaurants throughout Philly and San Diego. I ultimately ended up doing catering for rock concerts and catering backstage stuff in the, in the mid nineties. So that was fun. You know, I'm feeding, feeding Elton John and, and, and Jimmy Buffett some Mahi Mahi. But that's awesome.
0: Um, Is that what led to your interest in music or are these things unrelated?
1: No, no, no. I, I absolutely, I sought that job because of my love of music. Yeah. A hundred percent. And like I shared with you prior to um, prior to the call, I've been playing music since I was 12 years old. It's my passion. Um, it's a it's a very big part of my life. Yeah. Um. So that led me actually to an operations organization, a transportation logistics group uh, that was just starting out. Uh, they literally moved cars around the country with single drivers delivering cars from point A to point B. Um. And I and that organization was new. It was only about three years old back in late 99. Uh, so I joined there, and just got to know the organization and really grew with them over the next 15 years. And the la- latter part of my time there uh, was very technology focused. Um, a lot of our business had been uh, driven by very smart logistical people, uh, dispatchers that were using post-it notes and and uh, figuring out what drivers were coming in and, and, and really not relying on technology. The technology that we were using was really a repository. There was no intelligence behind it. So I was charged to move forward and try to figure out a um, how we could start using. You know, back then it wasn't called AI or ML, but um, look at let's look at some workforce management software, right? And let's start looking at some telematics stuff and see how we can interject that with our customer data and really to deliver a better experience for our customers. So they're not surprised when we're late, and they're notified when we're going to be approved. And that led me to enterprise mobility events. The Field Service USA conference, which is put on by WBR, which I strongly recommend to anybody involved in field service or technology. It's a great group, um, and and I started to learn about workforce management software and all it could do. And uh, ultimately, uh, I landed on selecting Click and selecting on top of Salesforce back before you know Field Service Lightning uh, was an offering and. Just then uh, the company had decided to move forward with a a financial purchase by an investment group. And uh, the writing on the wall was there. Uh, They had to make their OPEX look good. So I found another opportunity uh, with a shared services organization, did some great things, standing up systems for them. And then the opportunity became available at Cox to kind of reinvigorate and uh, and move forward their, their mobility solutions. So that's anything technician related from hardware to the applications that they were utilizing. And uh, spent six wonderful years at Cox, fantastic organization. I'd recommend it to anybody uh, looking for gainful employment. They are just head and shoulders above any company I've ever dealt with um, on a lot of levels. Uh, But we um, transformed the application they were using and the hardware they were using, which we could talk about. And we were laughing about that earlier. Um, and then things got operationalized. And I don't, I don't, I'm, I get bored easily when I'm, things are operationalized. I like to be building something or fixing something. And so this opportunity at Yanmar presented itself. Um, and so I've been with Yanmar since October of 2021. And my charge and my team's charge is to uh, take the telematic solutions that we've put forth and really drive it back now, full circle back to customer journey and value. And, uh, you know, like many companies who said, hey, telematics is a good idea. Check a box. It got done. Um, There's very low user adoption today because we we didn't tie it back to that customer journey and user story. So I'm happiest if I'm sitting on the fence between business and uh, technology. Uh, and luckily, this role lends itself well to that. And I'm, I'm really excited to be working for this uh, fantastic organization. And as you mentioned, yeah, I play music. Um and and that's a good passion of mine. My son races cars, uh, little quarter midget cars, and I try to beg him not to crash in the wall so that money doesn't fly out of our pocket. And my uh, daughter just finished her third play of in three weeks of three different companies that she's involved with. And I have a beautiful wife that I love. Um, yeah, that's me
0: in a nutshell. So there's not a lot of sitting around going on in the Kent household. It sounds like uh, it's certainly not in in my world. No, <laughs> that, that's awesome. Well, let's, um. you and I met when you were back at Cox through a, a mutual friend, and um, I, I was so impressed with some of the things that, that you guys were doing back then. So I'm, I'm really glad we've been able to to get reconnected. And it's it's great to hear you talk so wonderfully um, and just about Cox and the way that they were handling things. Um, I am curious, when you, you talked about the telematic solution, I want to jump over to something that you just talked about, you know, in your current world, the EMR. And, and just curious to dig in, you know, a big premise of this show is about companies aspiring to transform digitally, making tough decisions and often big investments in technology, and then sometimes kind of looking back and saying, geez, we're not getting the adoption of that technology that we expected for one reason or another. And so that's, I'd really love to, to hone in on that a little bit. I know you've only been there for six months and I'm certainly not trying to call out any mistakes that EMR has made in the past. It's not the spirit of what we're trying to do, but what we are trying to learn from that and I'd be curious to get your perspective in just you know not even a full year there yet, but what maybe you think are some of the things that have led to you know less adoption than could otherwise be achieved, and, and some of the things that you're putting in place to help solve for that.
1: I think the big challenge that Yamar faced, or that we're we're facing, is um, there was some great research done in terms of interviewing uh, end users and what they'd like. Matter of fact, I'm going to visit. Um, one of the people that was early on uh, supplied the business requirements for our telematics solutions. Um, he's a dealer of ours, and he uses the system better than anybody in the world. So we're going to learn from him and learn what um, what other OEMs are doing that are you know are providing better values so that we can kind of again drive it back to the user story. But where this our group failed, and where I've seen other companies fail, even at Cox, this happens is. Um, so you build the business requirements or the BRD or the FRDs, right? And then you hand it off to the technology group and there's and without constant communication and, uh, and iterations about translating those business requirements or those fundamental requirements into tying it back to the user story and the user experience, um, you end up with a siloed solution that will check all the boxes for what you put on that BRD, but not be a great user experience. Um, a lot of times, and I'm not speaking to Yamar or Cox directly, but it's you know you're using third-party resources to to build out the application. Um, you're doing it in a waterfall way instead of agile, um, and you end up with a product and after a lot of investment that you know doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Well, yeah, it does. Can I get to the information I need? Eh, you got to read the manual. You know, it's it's not a great user experience. We keep tying it back to, I can book a room on Marriott you know, in 12 seconds, um, it's a great app. I can book my rental car real fast. Um, I should be able to do the same thing with what I need to do for my job or for my customers. And so technology takes takes the orders. Um, They deliver the product and everyone just kind of shrugs and say, well, this is what we got. (laughs) You know, we were budgeted a couple million bucks or whatever it was to build it. And this is what we ended up with. Um, And then it just becomes the ugly child in the room that nobody wants to take ownership of. And yeah. I'm not speaking specifically to just but that's kind of what's happened here. It's, a, it's just siloed environments because we're not the only customer for that IT group and the development group. They're working on a whole host of other things. It's, it's, it's our world, sure, but um, they're just following directions. <laughs> and so it's really stakeholder engagement, I think, along the way, the, the entire way. Um, build fast, fail early, get it in front of them, get feedback. And that's what I liked about Cox. The approach we took there was um, I had a friend who worked uh, with uh, Pronto.io and just build a mock-up, you know, it took them half a day. And we got in front of people and said, all right, based on all the screenshots and all the things we get, does this look kind of like what you want? Said, yeah. Yeah. Except move that over here, move that over there. And we were able to hand that over to the development group. And now that along with the BRD and the FRD, and now there's something to see. And that's what the approach we're taking here with the MRs. We're working with a uh, a great IoT group, uh, Tago I.O. Um, and they don't care about what the device is. They they only care about the data and displaying it. But it's a drag and drop, you know, multifunctional platform that will it be the one we end up using. I don't know. But it's going to enhance that conversation when we go into customers and say, tell us how you do your job every day. Tell us where we can help. And then saying, okay, well, look what we built. This thing tells you when batteries are going to go bad. You know, is that helpful for parts inventory, you know, ordering? And, you know, it's just I think without the visual, you just lose a lot of the opportunity to get things right the
0: first time. Surely, though, somebody in the organization, as you were pitching this idea to go out and do some mock-ups and bring things out to the technicians in the field, surely somebody in the organization said, oh, these are guys, they're a bunch of field service technicians. What do they know? Like, they don't even know what they want or what's possible, right? Did you hear any any pushback like that?
1: I, I have not heard that in Myanmar, and I didn't really hear it in Cox, but I got to give it up for Cox and the field service team over there. They had a they have a change uh, implementation team uh that has their own executive director and and 10 or 15 people that they are change agents right and they are listening they're doing lunch and learns they're doing ride-alongs and they're coming back and saying this is the voice of the field and if you don't believe me go get out there and obey yourself like go spend a day with these guys and girls because you're gonna see i mean it's just i know you're you're our brain and a lot of brains think alike but it's you just scratch your head sometimes, like, I don't understand why you're doing that. Like, well, that's how it works. Like, but wouldn't it be easier <laughs> if we just gave you a button that did all that for you? Yeah. Okay, let's work on that. You know, especially now with, with Pega and all these other things, you can just, you just run bots in the background. and And so you don't have to go to multiple screens if you're just trying to get that serial number on that page. And I know I'm using weird examples, but. If I check a box, let something else do it all in the background. And no, you're not going to lose your job because your work just got better. You're just going to have a better life experience and you're going to be better to the customers. They're going to be more happier about your service because you're in a good mood. You don't spend 25 minutes filling out a form. Uh, I'm sorry. It's just about simplifying life is really
0: what it is. No, please don't apologize. This is what this show is about, man. I I love hearing you talk about that stuff. And and you've you've just covered on a a whole handful of topics here. I mean, the, the fact that First of all, there are a lot of change management folks that listen to this podcast. They've been many of them have been former guests of the show. And so to hear you talk about the change implementation team and, and the way you referred to it as the voice of the field, I love that. And it speaks to what we talked about at the top of the conversation, which was that that genuine empathy, the the caring for what the men and women in the field are experiencing and what they feel about this. Um, I think that's, that's awesome. And it doesn't surprise me at all that Cox and and you would be so supportive of having a change team in place to help gather that feedback and and really provide a voice for the field. The other thing that that change team is, does, that's critical is they build
1: a collision calendar, right? So I'm coming out with a new uh, application or a new application enhancement, and I really want you to know about it. But when you bounce it up against the collision calendar for all the other things you're doing in terms of training, new notifications, new product, uh, it, it like, they're like, listen, they can only take so much and you don't want your enhancement to get lost. So they would do a great job at managing that, um, I'll call it workload, but really just that load on the technician in terms of information. Um,
0: I've not I've not heard that term before. I think I understand what it means, but I don't want to make any assumptions. So you said collision calendar. So you're looking out for things that could possibly be intersecting at the same time. Talk, talk us through that a little bit.
1: Yeah, so they, they build it across multiple swim lanes. Um, You know, and it's just typically it's a month to month view. Um, And those swim lanes could be anything from uh, training um, uh, because they have training classes, you know, five, six hours a month. uh, With the exception of summer, it just happens to be a busy time for them. We have these new um, new enhancements coming out for their core applications. There may be. uh, So there's there's uh, technology and applications. We might be releasing a new tablet are doing updates on their MiFi. Um and then there's a mandated blackout period due to the Olympics coming. Um and you can't change things when the Olympics are coming. So uh and maybe they're updating a new you know it's 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 they make basic swim lanes and then so you look at it all across and and you've got a one sheet with with 25 or 30 different lines and each one of them has 10 or 15 things happening in a year and you go holy mackerel, that's like, this guy's going to have, and girl or girl, is going to have so much stuff hitting them. How are they going to absorb it all? Um, so yeah, their, the collision calendar was critical. And there's two people that just manage that. That's all they do, manage collision calendar. And so you come to them with your idea, like, hey, look what I got. And they go, all right, let's take a second. Yeah, take a chill pill. Uh, fill out the intake form. And then we're going to do an interview with you. And then we're going to understand the impact of it. We're going to score it low, medium, high. Based on that, then we're going to assign somebody to um, to it, or it's going to be self serve. We're just here as guidance, you know, based on the severity, um, and then and then they, you know, from a capacity standpoint, there's a capacity management team, and they've got to pull points out of the, um, the workforce management. So you're like, well, if you got to train six hours, then your capacity's down, right? So now you're doing capacity planning. It's just it's all they all touch the same thing, which is technician productivity and, and customer satisfaction. So. I, I'm sorry, I've been so ingrained in it for so many years, I can't remember when
0: I didn't work with collision calendars. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's fascinating. but I, I would just be in devil's advocate. I, I can hear you describing the process, having to fill out a form, having to contemplate the communication plan and all these other things that are going on. And meanwhile, you have pressure from the other side of that equation to say, yeah, we got to get this thing out ASAP. We got to get it out ASAP. We had a commitment. We told the business that we were going to get this thing deployed by the end of second quarter. And if I actually listen to these folks that are managing the collision calendar, there's no way we're going to meet that timeframe. How do do you deal with that that challenge? So for uh, at Cox, it was all about
1: pre-planning. So going into the year, we knew the eight or 10 new products that are coming out. We knew the eight or... 15 new enhancements we wanted to get in um, and we got budgeted for um, because you have to tell the user story and you have to show ROI or you're not going to get money for, you know, building what you need to build. Um, And, and we also knew that we, about 25% of our other capacity in terms of um, technical enhancement build would come in from, you know, suddenly there's a new product that we didn't know about, or suddenly there's something else. Um, And when you lock in on that approach and you provide enough um, headroom for those six or seven releases for the year, it's anticipated. So it's not like I'm coming out of a and saying, look what I want to release in June. When you're forced into that kind of environment, you understand there's a three-month lead time for anything. Um, and even though I came from an environment with the operations group where there was a fire every single day we were putting out, I mean, you can imagine 500 drivers driving around the country delivering people's vehicles or a new UPS truck, it's never enough people to go around. Or too many there was fires and requests on everything every day and it was always let's do whatever is right for the customer every single day when it came to cox it was you know let's have a meeting about this okay let's meet next tuesday i don't understand let's meet now right this second and solve this problem like you're looking at this wrong you're not solving today's problems you're solving six months away problems he goes and, and and me as a director i'm solving the problems a year to three years from now um so it was a little bit of a different environment in that we understood what the lead time was. Now, did we pull any punches when it got into emergency? No, that's, um, and we could talk a little bit about our release for virtual training or, uh, virtual assistant. Um, we, that was something we were going to prompt in August with a trial. Instead, we launched it to 5,000 technicians in two weeks when COVID hit. <laughs> like, so yeah. I understand what you're saying. It, it, I think it really turns back to what the,
0: understanding of the norm is for that organization? Oh, it's actually really impressive. And I'm just being devil's advocate. I, I've actually seen the other side of what you're describing probably more often, uh, organizations that lack the discipline and planning to look out for those conflicts or collisions as you talk about it. Mm -hmm. and instead find themselves in situations where they are trying to change and they are dealing with a lot of different stakeholders and they are trying to inject several changes at at one time, perhaps without considering the other things that are going on in that workforce at that time, right? And and so one of the things I've really learned uh, as a very fortunate host of this show from, from all the guests that we've had is that we can't just be myopically focused on the one change that we're implementing, that we're responsible for. We have to bring our view back for the collective good of everybody. And frankly, even if, if we're being honest with ourselves, selfishly for the success of our own initiative, right? Because there's no sense in trying to jam our initiative down the throat of the workforce if there are potential collisions ahead, right? If, if they're just saturated with other change that's going on right now, we're just really putting our own change at risk. And so, but it but it does take, uh, I think, a certain culture, you know, a, a certain type of organization to really think pragmatically about that. And and so I find myself hearing and using the word culture a lot when we talk about this because you can have all these practices and know what the best practices are, but unless you have the right culture to support that, where somebody else can say, okay, we'll hold off to let this change happen next, right? You you're really setting yourself up to fail. You said it perfectly,
1: and it ties back to the why right? Um, and the why around this is just what you said. Your, your own change is not going to succeed if you don't allow for this process. Yeah. It's just going to be get muddied in the waters. They're not going to hear it. They're not going to use it. They're going to call into the back office and somebody to say, hey, did you know you could do this yourself by clicking this button? No. When did that happen? It's like, it's been
0: out there for six months. <laughs> so talk about that because that, that is something that we deal with in my day job quite a bit, which is we hear a lot of stories where enhancements to the technology have been made. Many times they've been uh, implemented because of feedback from the field, but they're not being utilized the way that it was expected when those enhancements were made. And I I think what you were just kind of alluding to was, was maybe a gap in communication in in letting those people know that those changes have come down. So what have you learned throughout the course of doing so many projects as you have about how to make sure that that communication, you know, is, is effective in making sure that everybody knows what's coming, what's in the application, what's in the new tool and how that works. Talk me through that a little bit.
1: So a couple things around that. Um, The first is um, we implemented self-learning pace and would invite people by email to let them know, hey, there's a new video. If you just click on help in the application, you can watch a quick five-minute video that teach you all the new tricks, tips and tricks that are in there. And it's done by the product manager, who's an old supervisor and technician himself. He's not old. Well, he's uh, anyway. Um, and so the videos are real tag, simple. I'm going to tag be- post so they he knows you he <laughs> just to refer to him. <laughs> Hashtag old. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But it's a simple video, right? That it, you know, the next time you get five minutes of downtime, just click on it. Because most of these, most of these things are helping you. None of it's necessarily there to hurt you. They're not adding in more process. They're they're there to be a a helpful stepping stone. The second thing is you've got to figure out a way to build in analytics into your platform so you understand when the new enhancements are reached, are they being utilized? Right. So how many times is that button being clicked? You know, if I'm doing it for a security install and I'm doing a new password um, and it's a thousand times a month, um, but we're getting calls in the back office based on dispositioning for 3000 times a month, there's an opportunity for some more communication, right? And how do we arm the people in the back office to let them know, hey, when they call in for this specific thing, let them know it's in there. Here's a link. You can just email to them or text it to them real quick with a quick video. They can see how to use it, um, so it's not just one thing it's 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 iterative uh, and and it's not a hundred percent adoption out the gate um, but you have to have a way to monitor it and you have to have a way to enhance that um, utilization and you and with the feedback loop and then you can understand better if or I'm not using it because it's a real pain in the butt I have to log into the system a second time it always logs me out well that's a problem let's deal with that you know don't just you want to get away from the where from the instances where you're on a ride along and somebody throws up their hands and go well it's always a piece of crap <laughs> right you don't want the surprises then um, the, the second thing I would say is back to that whole champs me testers piece the testers are now the the, the 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 advocates and so they're going out and they're like and they'll talk you know during a supervisor meeting or somebody else and say hey guys just as a reminder um, here's the three great things that we just added to the application. You know, So they're hearing from one of on their own uh, and, and getting promoted that way. And hey, I know you guys were always complaining about this. Guess what? They solved for it. Um, so you can't rely just on the change management uh, or change implementation team. You've got to get that talk down to the ground level. And that's also incorporated in talking notes with these lunch and learns that, you know, and skip level meetings and other things. Um, hey, we heard that you really wanted this. It got added in. A, did you know it was there? And B, if you didn't, um, can you tell other people about it now? And if you did know it's there, does, is it working for you? Is this really helped you? Back back to empathy, back to the cycle. Uh, you, you can't put out a newsletter and expect everyone to read it, and 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 especially <laughs> working with um, with my new global company, there's now there's a whole culture shift, right? So we certainly see it in the states. You know, it's gonna be different for the group in Southern California than it is in the Northeast. So you have to understand regional differences you have to understand time of day don't send me something at four in the morning because i'm in california but now globally thinking if i know if i send something to japan with more than a few sentences it's not going to get read it's it's just it's not that they are trying to ignore me it's there's a culture cultural difference (laughs) that we have to respect and um quite honestly through Yamar, i was very lucky early on to have a colleague suggest i go through japan culture training and it's helped me immensely build the relationships and understand um, the folks I'm working with and understand what they're expecting from me, just from a, a cultural perspective. Um, so there, I've say, said the word cultural probably improperly four times in three minutes.
0: <laughs> no, that's great. I, I love um, the the international, you know, the, the sensitivity or awareness of the, the different cultures and and just how things are perceived there. Uh, I think that's fascinating. We could probably do a whole show about that. But But you mentioned something that, I actually haven't heard a lot of other guests talk about it. I'd like to explore it for a minute. You've referred to the men and women in the back office countless times as you've told these stories. And and I really appreciate that because I think a lot of times the problem, and this is maybe a bit unique to frontline workers, right? The, the types of men and women in the job roles that we talk about here on this podcast. But the problems that are created by poor adoption by the men and women on the front lines or actual misuse of their technology are often not solved by the people causing the problem, right? So if a field technician enters a work order incorrectly or is tracking an asset incorrectly or is processing a payment incorrectly or whatever, most often they're not the ones that resolve that. It it affects somebody else in the chain, right? It's somebody in the back office that has to go fix that. And so I had a question actually earlier in the conversation, which is, do you see the ROI of like investing in better adoption and in um, all the things that you've been talking about, the change management and everything, is that primarily driven by the improvement in efficiency for the men and women on the front line? Or when you're making your business case internally, is it the improvement of efficiency of the men and women in the back office? Or maybe you'll tell me it's a 50-50 split, but I'm just kind of curious about where that bias is because I think that's one of those like hidden costs, hidden problem areas that the problem is actually resolved by people different than the ones that are actually starting the problem.
1: Yeah, and it's also, I would also make the point that it's um, it goes one step past that. So you have a sales agent in the back office entering in information incorrectly, impacts the technician who then has to call back to his back office in order to fix it. That's um, a real world completion of that story. That's fantastic, it, you're absolutely right. So um, I, I'll say uh, with Cox, if it most of what we did all resolved around what we call transaction reduction, so that transaction reduction meant that tech wasn't getting on the phone and they weren't taking up somebody's time in the back office and you can calculate the cost to that, right you, it, because now we're back to workforce management and productivity, not just the technician but our call center agents yeah um, and not necessarily try to drive out uh, drive out workforce but to make sure that we have the most productive as as there is. And I mean, you know, through attrition alone, just because of the age of the workforce and, and people growing out and not a lot of people, you know, jump in the dive into wanting to be in a call center environment, um, we're losing workforce where, you know, we've got 20% that are gonna retire in the next 10 years or whatever it is, or, or, or,
0: or it might even be higher than that. I can't remember and the that, that, that was projected even before the Great Resignation. Right. Yeah. Now you're making me go back to the office. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So, um, so if we were driving that transaction out of the call center, you got to figure it's saving the technician time. it's saving the workforce uh, management folks time. And so it was, it was both. I can't really say it's 50 50. It's just every inefficiency drives waste. So if you can, and, and quite honestly, with the highest impact things that we did, very early on when we moved to a, a mobile first UI because um, we saw them, you know, uh, using their phone more than anything. Um, and not the computers we were giving them the, the first enhancements that we said were driven by field. Those came from, from our uh, back office people so listen, if you could just stop certain calls from coming in, what kind would they be like? Oh, let me tell you, you could, let them assign their own static IP address Um, and look up what that is in the DNS signature, Um, they wouldn't have to call us and ask us. It's like, they don't have that information? Nope. Okay. That seems pretty simple. And I bet bet the tax preferred that too, because then they didn't have to wait. Yeah, they don't want to call. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you do get, uh, I mean, it's not so much today, but you know, you get the people that do like talking on the phone some. But the good news is by looking at, the um, usage analytics and looking at the dispositioning for the back office, you can weed those people out. um, And they might just like talking to Stephanie every day. That's the way it is. And and that's okay. (laughs) You just have to work through that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's a human element to that too, for sure. You you said something else that I really want to talk through because this is another thing I haven't heard anybody else say. And it's, again, when you say it out loud, it seems so obvious, but you said, when the techs were calling into the back office and the, the back office um, personnel were recognizing that it was because the tech didn't know how to do something that they would otherwise have been able to do, that we need to empower them to be able to send that information out to the techs. Listen, I understand that's not rocket science, but it's a, really, it's a freaking really good idea. And it's kind of simple, but it's super effective, right? They are also on the front lines, the the, the back office folks that, are on the receiving end of those calls from the tech. And if they're saying to themselves, hey, you know what? The guys, they, they, the software you have on your handheld, you can actually assign a, a static IP address now. Did you know that? Well, yeah, I know, but I didn't really know how to do that. Well, let me send you the link to the video so that, hey, I'm gonna handle this one for you today, but mm-hmm. next time you know, you'd be able to do that. That's a super simple, but fascinating best practice to, to implement in any organization. I actually
1: experienced it today. Uh, and I'm trying to remember if my, it was my long care service or Delta, I, I know Delta has got their own one now for chatting and stuff, but, um, and they said, hey, do you know, um, we can send you the instructions on exactly how to do this in a quick video, just press one, we'll send you a text to this number you're calling from, you know, and, and that's organizations trying to again drive down co- costs, improve customer experience um, so I'm seeing more and more of that. I don't know if I'm seeing a lot of it in, in major organizations. I don't I don't know if I'm exposed to enough. Hopefully, we'll get some good feedback when we're um, at the field service conference uh, this spring, and we can we can ask that question from people. But you're right; it is, it's a simple approach, but it again follows what retail is doing today. Um, and right. what what?
0: <laughs> well, and, and I'm only laughing because you're right. It and this is kind of this whole kind of consumerization of IT thing that we've been talking about now. We've actually been talking about this for a decade, but I think really user experience has become paramount in all things on on the consumer technology side, right? So all the companies that we know from Apple to Amazon to Netflix, Facebook, they've kind of mastered figuring out how we interact with technology and how to make that experience so simple and flawless that we just frankly, we become addicted to a lot of it. <laughs> there may be a, an unintended consequence of some of that stuff too, but that, that consumer functionality, that's something that you and I talked about uh, when we prepared for today. And it's it's driving people's perceptions about how they want to use enterprise technology. But in a lot of cases, enterprise technology hasn't kept up with that user experience. So we've got some catching up to do, but I think we can just for evidence of kind of what works, we can look around in the consumer markets and say, well, how?" just in the example that you just had, right, with Delta or whoever it was that you were talking to, to just say, hey, why don't we do something just like that for our workforce so that we can make their lives simpler? They can get the self-help that they actually crave. They'd actually rather solve this problem on their own anyway. Why not empower everybody to do that?
1: We don't have a choice because you get a kid coming out of college and then you put him in front of an AS400 screen, he's going to quit. Like It's just going to work that way. And there is a lot of really good development we did it at Cox we're doing gonna do it at EMR you can keep your antiquated back-end systems just put a good a good UI in front of it the, the, right. the technician the customer nobody cares that you have 16 systems got to tie together just give me one user experience it's going to be easy to use don't make me have a rocket science to re, to, to use your solution I'm not going to use it um, right. and and that goes the same for our internal workforce they're not going to come to work in a, in a environment. We're having them tab through an F5 through screens. It's just, it's not going to work.
0: Yeah. No, it's, it's a, it's a really great point. And unfortunately, I can't believe we're already up to time. I feel like we could go on for, uh, you know, another 45 minutes here. But we, we're already coming up to the end of this. You bore uh, people to death with this stuff though. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Listen, this isn't a mass market show here. I think our audience, this is the kind of stuff that they're living with day in and day out every day. And um, I can't be totally certain. But I think our audience actually loves hearing uh, these types of tidbits. I actually got some feedback from one of our former guests, who's now a listener of the show this morning, and she was telling me, uh, listening to other guests, she's able to take away you know, ideas from each one of these shows. So I really enjoyed the conversation. I bet our audience did too. And I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to share with us today.
1: Yeah, Justin, it was a lot of fun. I look forward to seeing you uh, later this spring uh, at the Field Service Conference. Uh, if anybody cares to reach out to me, I'm always open for LinkedIn. Uh, It's just, I think it's LinkedIn in Kent, John. Um, It's probably me in in an apple orchard. So it's hard not to find, but I'm happy to talk about this stuff all day long because Lord knows my wife doesn't want to hear about it.
0: (laughs) Mine either. So we all have something in common on that. And uh, we'll make sure to tag you uh, on the episodes that uh, everybody knows how to find you. And um, I look forward to seeing you at Field Service Palm Springs. All right. I'll see you soon. Thanks, Justin. I, I hope uh, the audience has found the conversation as enjoyable as I have. And I think John has too. So if so, please share and rate the podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. Reminder that this podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. Visit the website at s-k-y-l-l-f-u-l and we're always looking for new guests on the show. So if you or someone else you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Reach out to me on LinkedIn and share your story. And hopefully we can get you on to be a guest on the show. John, thanks again for your time today. Thanks, Justin. All right, bye now.